Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, hey there, Scott. How's it going today? Doing well. Excited for this one to tie another component together of the story. We talked with Amy and discussed a lot of things, but AI was a big part about it. Imagine that. And then had a great follow-up discussion last week and another one this week to continue to build on this. As the operations guy, I'm still excited about AI. I'm not as excited as Adam, and I think he and I bounced back and forth. Last week, we were talking about AI and the use for it. And, and the one surprising thing between Adam and I is I'm the power user between the two of us. So yep. I've really pushed AI to do a lot of things and really on the personal side. As we've had this discussion of how it impacts, I've been going at this a little bit different than how it's going to impact the business. I've been looking at it more from the outside to say, how is it going to impact the consumer and try to chase it? that way and through my experience and my conversation and I do treat my interactions with AI as a conversation I'm looking to see how we piece this together from that aspect all the way through and then of course there's the business side but I'm going to leave the business side to Adam at least for the next few conversations yeah a few threads to pull on there Adam how are you doing today and power I feel like if you don't have this power user label we got to fix that we got to work on it <laughs> I'm I 100% agree. It's on my to-do list. Unfortunately, it's been sitting on my to-do list for about the last month, but I do need to dig into it. And I've played with the free version, the three or 3.5, whatever it is. I need to pay for the premium version and really dig into it because I think there's some significant differences there, but we'll let our guests get into there and start talking about that. But end of the summer, I, we're starting to feel things slow down here on the Outer Banks. I'm delivering my oldest to, to college tomorrow. So it feels like we're turning this corner not only on the summer, which is where obviously all the property managers put all of their time and attention, or at least in the summer markets, to fill up the homes and then operate those homes. But I think we're really turning a significant corner from a planning perspective too. You're coming out of summer. You've got to think about the rest of this year. You've got to plan for the next year. But then as we've talked about for almost 40 episodes, there are huge inflection points that are all coming together at the same time. And I think AI is one of those inflection points. And I think everyone on this call could be one of the biggest inflection points that we've all had the opportunity to experience in our lives. So it's very interesting to continue this. I think that we pulled on some interesting threads with Amy starting the topic. She really was focused on search and the changes that could come from search. And then we dug into marketing and we started with the adaptive guys and we continued down that path of how do you get people to your website and leverage AI in order to surface the right information for the right people. But I think Scott's point is also really important. I think this ties into to our guest today is there's a real big operational component to AI, and we've not really talked about that yet. We haven't talked about the value that AI can have with the guest communications and with answering questions and with surfacing information. We are living it because Breezeway has released it and, and our team uses the Breezeway messaging tool. So we are living it to some degree, but I don't think we've really wrapped our heads around it. And today's discussion with Luca from Journey I think I've got a couple different pieces that I'm really interested in that I think Luca is coming to the market with something that's really very unique. I don't want to label this, Luca. I'll let you do it once, once we start talking. But Journey almost starts to feel like a middleware to me. We've got all of these different softwares and products out there, and we've been wrestling with this tech stack in this industry for a very long time. It feels like Journey might be the first approach to a middleware that is really significant to tie all these pieces together. But again, I'll let Luca get there. And then in addition to that, he also layers in AI and a component that's really significant on the guest side. So super interested to, to get Luca's feel for the industry, AI. What are the changes that are ahead of us? 
Yeah, for sure. Luca, welcome to the show. We certainly appreciate you coming on with us today. So I guess two two places to start there. Number one could be the background of Journey, how it got started, your role, etc. But before we get to that, if you don't mind, could you also share a song that best describes you so we can add it to our playlist? I, I don't know if it's a song that best describes me. I can say it's a song that inspired me. And I say Hero from David Bowie. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Perfect. Is that our That's our second David Bowie, isn't it? Didn't Anarag give us Under Pressure? Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. I feel like I'm not the curator of the Spotify list, so I'd have to defer yeah. to you guys on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Awesome, Luke. No, inspiration is good too, Luke. That's another good way to approach it. Thanks. Yeah. We'll put we'll pop that in there. And then, yeah, to the first question there, we'd love to hear the background of Journey, how it got started. And then if you want to paint some context around the AI tooling and middleware, the middleware coming from Adam, that'd be phenomenal as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I can start like from where my journey, upon intended, started. But really, I was born and raised in Italy. I moved to LA specifically when I was 21. And and then a couple of years after I moved here, I came here really with a reason of studying, but a couple of years after I moved here, this was like 12 years ago right now, like I realized that there was very little done online. I was looking for luxury villas to rent, specifically here in LA, couldn't find anything. And so I realized that, that uh, there was an opportunity to actually at least luxury properties online. That was my first business that I've done in this industry. And I launched a landing page, literally a landing page overnight and did $1.2 million in revenue year one. So great business, short leave, very short leave. Owners got very smart very quickly. They started listing on Airbnb. They started listing on VRBO. A luxury retreat, one fine stay came on the market. And from there, I basically pivoted into a management company, grew and scale that management company to 300 units super early on initially we were taking the lyrics approach, the standard approach, which was copied from the WeWork model, right? Trying to scale with master leasing uh, as much as possible. And uh, in that, I realized that other, the other components of the industry were broken. And one was the fragmentation of the tech stack. And the second, obviously, was the unsustainability of the master leasing. But while we were doing that, we really started building a lot of software in-house because we had a problem of making... I always had this vision in my mind of this almost fully automated hospitality. And I said, with current technologies, it's impossible to achieve. And it's not a critique to current technologies. It's just like, they're great to do what they do, but they cannot just give you this fully automated experience. If you look, if you talk to anybody who's been in the industry for long enough, they changed five PMSs. And it's absolutely insane, right? And the reason why people keep changing and trying to to rebuild the tech stack is because there's always limitations. And this limitation really comes from an API side, which we learned our lessons also even harder when we decided to launch Journey. So yeah, we then decided to slowly fade away the management company, take all our learnings from there and really bringing them to a software. I think Adam described it very well as a middleware. I see us building almost like an operating system, right? Like when you have a before operating system, you had the first operating system in PCs were like DOS. And it was like not intuitive, very hard to use, very hard to put different components working, making them work together. And really what we're trying to do is exactly that, trying to make all these different technologies work well together as a single system and make it as intuitive as possible from a user standpoint, while at the same time implementing technology and, and really create a system that allows host to seamlessly automate their operation at any level, like starting from a handful of units, just doing a handful of things to all the way to 
to make the system extremely complex. And the approach in order to do that is, is to really to try to create what we call a vertical integrated system and limited partners. Does it mean limited amount of solutions? Like we want as many verticals as possible, but one usually solution per vertical, unless it's distribution, obviously, or hardware. You want as much hardware or as many distribution channels as possible, but you don't want to have 15 pricing software. You don't want to have... 10 cleaning solutions, 10 cleaning management solutions, because you want one and you want to go as deep as possible. You want to go with whoever you think is going to be relevant in the future and is relevant already today and just go as deep as possible. One of the latest integrations we just released is actually with with Terno specifically. And we actually released that. I don't know if you guys know, but we have a free package, where which is basically almost like the PMS components. Turner integration, Zapier integrations, like we, we really want to change things and people to, to get a feel of the product. But yeah, I don't want to get into too long into the product, but that's that's in, in short the story and what we do. How was scaling back the property management company? That must have been a difficult transition to bring that back at the same time that you were starting to release software. Yeah, I actually it wasn't too bad. I think it was hard to juggle both at the same time, I think for a while. Um, that was the hardest part. And the hardest part was more like we have VC back company. And so VC back companies, they only want to see like a one line growth trajectory. And then we had to dismantle uh, another business to lose all those revenues to then rebuild. And then obviously makes, make, makes it hard from that standpoint of view. But I think, uh, and the other hard challenge was to switch from understanding that we were building a product for other people and not just ourselves. I think that was the biggest transition. We built a really good, we have a really good engineering team, but there's a difference between having a good software and good engineering team and then having a product that everybody can easily use. And the team to really get used to the fact that we need to get this feedback and just constantly collecting and changing software. So we went through a learning process there for sure, but we're glad we did it. And the VC money stayed with you. Yeah. Yeah. It just, they're not as happy to make pivotal changes, but at the same time, if you want to be, if you really go, if you have really a goal and a vision, and that was what I had since the very beginning was this fully automated hospitality experience Mm -hmm. and that's the reason why we got into the ai that's the reason why we start building the system we built and you want to stay true to that you will do whatever it takes to get you there and for us that was the move now look you've been at this for some time i guess i'm curious kind of what the top things are that you've seen that's changed during this time frame so when you first started managing properties i didn't catch a year but it seemed like it was maybe six seven eight years ago to today what are some of the changes that you've seen and then what's your real perspective from let's say COVID from today, when that started 2020 to today, how could you break down those eras for us and your experience in them? Yeah, I started 12 years ago in this space. Okay. So like I've seen them probably from the very, very beginning. I've seen so many companies also getting venture money to try to scale. I learned a couple of things. And I think if I want to take the takeaway lesson, in my opinion, is it's not a business that can scale rapidly. You can't. So many people try and they fail. Like you have to, in my opinion, you don't go very deep in into the 
ownership or the experience of the guest and be very accurate from that standpoint of view, or you have to go the complete opposite side, the asset light, completely asset light side, which is technologies. And I, at one point I said, obviously wanted to be true with my vision. I want to go to the software side, but I said, if I have to pick, I have to pick one way or the other. If you're sitting in the middle and you're trying to scale fast, it's, it's just simply not going to work. I think though, that the short-term rental has so much to teach to the hotel industry. I've had, I've, when I manage assets, I manage both on the hotel side and, and, and the short-term rental side. We were managing boutique hotels and really converting them into high-efficient short-term rental machines. And I think the short-term rental market has so much to teach to, to, to the hotel side. And I really, truly believe that ownership of assets is going to become a big thing in our industry. It already has become, but I think it's still flying under the radar. But the ownership and the ability to, to scale ownership is really going to be it. And adding additional value by bringing your operational expertise, your branding, and the ability to really streamline the operation. You can take a, a boutique hotels and you look at the over the expenses they have, and it's insane. And if you come in and you can really streamline and bring in like a good system, Automate the check-in, check-out experience, giving cleaning only when people need it versus daily cleaning every day. Like you, you can take the same assets and make it a lot more profitable. Scott, and, we've uh, talked a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Luca, that's go, a go for it. Yeah, that's it. No. <laughs> right on. Scott, we've talked a lot about scale, both on this kind of podcast and also offline just before we record and stuff. And I guess what's your reaction to Luca's point there? Like scaling quickly often causes breakage, but you have to do scaling pretty quickly on the operation sides at times when you get new inventory, you have to put a team together. So what's your perspective on that? Is there a way to do it with some level of sanity and intact? Yeah, it's, it's great. And we've talked about this. We actually talked about it fairly recently. Typically, when someone scales fast, and we've all had to do it for some reason, it is possible. But typically what happens is as soon as you're done scaling, you spend more time back at the beginning trying to put the pieces back in order. Like, all right, I'm going to duct tape that one. I need a Band-Aid over here, a little bubble gum over here. But you can run it up. But then I think, I like Lucas' point, of, but then coming back to go deep in, into the areas that you need to go deep in. So I think he's spot on there. And, and I do agree with that. And I even looked Vacasa and essentially, and we've talked about it, this with them, right? They brought in one team and they scale up as fast as they can. And then they just leave a mess everywhere. So I, I think scaling quickly is possible. I think it leaves it a mess and you've got to come back and clean it. But I want to circle back, Conrad, because this is another point that we keep talking about and it keeps coming up is, right, Lucas says streamline, more efficient, right? But he also used the word hospitality while he was saying those things, right? So, Luke, as we've been talking one of the things we've been talking about, we're very big followers and believers in unreasonable hospitality. And as we've been talking about this, and Adam has been a part of keyless access, right? He's been a part of Breezeway. And really, how do we streamline this stuff and make it more efficient? But where do you stand, Luca, on tying it back? Because that you can really streamline and make service efficient, where I don't think that we're fully aligned. And even in our own thinking, is how do you streamline and make hospitality more efficient? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the big reasons we decided to do what we're doing is because I think that what's been missing and what a lot of hosts today have to take care of is the technology side of things and the operational side. And that makes you, and especially if you want to scale big, right? And that's one of the reasons of a lot of these big failures as well is because 
if you go and start diving deep into their core issues, a lot of it is software related. And I say the majority of the companies, probably 100% of the companies are having issues on scaling. And they end up spending, because I remember we as a management company, we end up spending 80% of our time taking care of the software and the integrations and really just like 20% of the time taking care of guest experience and creating a brand. So I'm like, what are we doing? <clears throat> and the reason is because we had to compensate for everything that wasn't working in the industry. And as I start solving that problem full time with Journey, I realized that it's an even bigger problem. It's, it exists almost like everywhere. You have to really go to partners and, and, sh and shake them and say, hey, you got to build this for me or this is not going to work. And it's just the infrastructure just basically doesn't exist. If we're trying to say why is public transportation not working, but if there's no roads, it cannot work. And that's like where we are at right now with our industry. There's no roads. So, and I talk about it, me as a company, not because I want to talk about Georgia, but because to give an example of how hard it is, we have to pave the road for other companies and be like, okay, I built the road. Can you just build an entrance, please, to this road? <laughs> because, and we have to take an extremely hard approach to start fixing this because it's really broken. <laughs> and it That's a super interesting way to think about it that I hadn't thought about it before, Lucas. So for you, two points there. One, to think that the people that are not scaling well is predominantly because of software issues is super interesting because that's not what we see on the outside. On the outside, we actually yeah. see operational issues. We hear exactly. oh, cleaning's not being done well. Like it's all the hospitality stuff mm -hmm. and operational stuff. But to your point, I agree. And I hadn't thought about it like this, but I do. I think it's I think it's the tech stack that is not running well, that is not efficient enough, that you're putting Band-Aids on, that we haven't got all these pieces together to actually run in an efficient way, that you can then focus on the hospitality side of things and make people feel good. That's really interesting. And then the other one, the roads. I think that this industry has been around, pick the first one, and you could say it's hundreds of years ago, but the reality is that it's 30 years old. Hotels have been around for a couple hundred and we're trying to figure out how do we scale this industry as a whole as fast as we're going. And if the issue with scaling a property management company is software, then the issue of scaling an industry is 100% got to be software. So yeah. I guess that goes back to journey. And I know we haven't hit AI yet. I definitely want to get there and think about operations and what you're doing there. But I think this middleware is a really important concept for the industry to understand. This Middleware is in a lot of industries, right? Because you've got the can, same. Can type you of define problem. middleware, Adam? Yeah, I wonder yeah, if some sure. people listening just haven't heard that before. Yeah. So, to Luca's analogy, middleware is the road, right? You've got these tech stacks in a lot of different industries, and the tech has grown up relatively quick within their niche because, in, a, in pick an industry, it doesn't matter which one. Here's a need. Here's a software that's kind of come and fill that need. I'm going to go deep in that one niche and that one need. They don't think about how that need is going to connect to all of the other needs, all of the other on-ramps onto the road that, that Luke is talking about. So Luca's vision of building a road and then letting all of these other niches and small products build into that road is something that has happened in a lot of industries, but we have not seen it happen in the vacation rental industry. And Journey is the first one that I've seen attempted. I've had discussions with other software companies that see the need. But they're so focused on their niche and their software that it's very difficult to think about how do I build the overall infrastructure for everybody to plug into. Now, so that's very interesting for me to think about how Journey can start to do that. The, the one challenge is that, to your point, Luca, for you to be effective, you've got to choose partners. And now we're choosing, we're really saying, 
here's the best in class, at least for our road, here are the people that we're going to allow to build onto the on-ramp. And as soon as we start to have that discussion, then you start to have issues with all the other property managers, all the other vendors who want to do their particular piece of that road or that on-ramp. So how are you choosing the right people to partner with? And what is the grand vision? How do we get the full road built where everyone can start to use it? I, I love this question. I love this question because I've sat on this question for years. <laughs> I think that one of the things that we haven't realized is that, and especially I think when people are having conversation and we go to these conferences, like it's those are the hardcore people that have chosen multiple ta- different technologies. Majority of the industry hasn't even chosen the tech stack because it's way too complicated. So that's what we need to realize that the majority of the market is still scared away from fully embracing technologies because it doesn't in a way it helps you in a way it's it traps you in, in, in into endless battles <laughs> so it's a double-edged sword right and and so i think if the company that can create a product that is extremely easy to use extremely easy to implement and it can fully automate your operation it's all gonna ultimately win and if you see, if you look at different technologies that we talked about it right it's the middleware components or the simplifications right of technologies happening in multiple different industries and i always like to look at the computer industry if you look like who builds custom pcs today it's like a small percentage of a very small percentage of the industry you're a hardcore gamer you're you have some type of specific job that you want to do, you build your own PC. Majority of people want to have a product that is ready to use and they don't want to figure out the little parts like, oh, what kind of brand you have for your RAM or your graphic card. People don't care about that stuff. Majority of people, most of the people buy a finished computer that is called iPhone and it sits in your pocket. It's just easy to use, easy to operate. And then you learn one operating system versus having to operate, like learning 40 different systems. And the apps more or less all feel the same, although they're built by different companies, but they're built specifically for that device. So I think anybody that's going to be able to do that in our industry, like it has happened in any other industry, is going to ultimately win. So what I care so much is is about functionality and the end product. And I know when two components work very flawlessly together, it's almost better to sacrifice a little bit of maybe some extra feature, but just know that those core features work. Because you can always build those extra on top of it later on. And then in addition, I think people don't realize is that when you have a seamless system that works together, you actually end up having more functionality, not less. But it's about having this seamless experience of, 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 of these different components working as a single unit, right? Like you mentioned, this most of these solutions are not built to work with one another. And some of the biggest companies in our industry, and I'm talking even on the OTA side, don't think that way. Don't think that the winning game is to allow other people to work seamlessly all together as a single solution. So it's it's really like a battle that you have to fight. But the company ultimately does that is is going to win and is going to create a solution. Yes, you're going to have a percentage of companies that they're going to try to build their own solution. But last thing I want to say to your point is that the middleware is what I realized that any of these large companies, and I'm not going to mention the names, but these large companies that start managing tens of thousands of units, start building themselves on their own. 
You look at any of these companies, what they start building, they take a PMS and they start building a middleware on top of that PMS. And I have done that. That was journey 1.0. And it was absolutely not scalable and sustainable. So you had to rebuild something completely from scratch. And that's one of the reasons why these companies have big issues, even as big as, even at the biggest ones still have these issues. Yet to your earlier point, there's definitely, I feel like when I first got into the space, 2013, 14, there was companies advertising that were an all-in-one solution because they were trying to market against the fact that, oh, you'd have to go get this tool, that tool, and that tool. And if they're still out there, but I feel like those companies are losing prominence. Like I see them a lot less frequently and the companies that- I'll put it this way, Conrad, they're not saying that. They're not saying that anymore. No, but I don't Mm -hmm. think there's anybody out there who's trying to say we're all-in-one. I think everyone recognizes like, we probably can't say that. People recognize you're not going to do all-in-one. Yeah. Maybe they don't say it anymore, but they still behave that way in my experience, like tactically boots on the ground. If they had that opinion five years ago, it's hard to pivot and then be like, oh yeah, now we're this open platform. But it seems you build things very differently, Luca, from the beginning. I'm looking on your products page and I see so many different integrations and so many different things that you have built. How do you decide who to partner with? Is it just a matter of, okay, you're willing to work with us and you have enough customers or is there more kind of stringent criteria? How do you pick and choose to build a feature versus partner or is that different? That's a great question. And it boils down to two things. One is what I believe they're going to be in the future and they are what they are today and what they believe they're going to be in the future. And and I say for us, it's also important that they don't branch out. Like they're really focusing on that vertical and they're like mastering that vertical because branching out, that's, it goes against what we believe, right? Like we want to be this middleware so we need these this different components. They are the best of the best, specifically just doing one thing. If you start branching out, then <clears throat> start conf- be conflictive with, with what we're building. So that's one thing. And the second thing is their willingness to, to work with us, right? So their typical API is not going to work. Whatever they're using for guesting, whatever they're using for any other PMSs that exist out there, it's their generic API. That won't work for our platform. And we're going to build it as much as possible on our end. And we tell them, we're going to make a large investment working with you guys, but I need you guys to do an investment in your API. And we have done that with all our partners. And and that's what we're building because our goal is to bring you that single interface. And that's not an easy easy thing to do, especially when it comes down to convincing larger partners on the OTA side, but we're being crazy enough to take these missions and somehow we're being able to convince these people. So it's great. Right on. I want to dig into that just a little bit, Conrad. So on that note, Luca, if, so you've got people, you're, you want to go deeper with their APIs. The average API won't work because to your point, you want, if someone's on journey, that full experience should be in journey. You're never going off into the other tool. At least for 98% of your functions or for sure for hundred percent of your day to day, then if you have, I give you the instance of pricing, right? Where we work with Wheelhouse and they have developed a custom API for us. Maybe I shouldn't say, <laughs> so, oh, you're good, but what they, we're going to be allowed to do the majority of what the day to day is going to be that people need to do in Wheelhouse. But if you want to go into extreme uh, complex advanced settings, we're not going to be able to build that on, onto our platform. That's, I think, is unique for pricing because, for example, out of host, we do 100% of it 
And then now with Turner, you basically do almost 100% of everything on our platform. So yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, and we have those that to Airbnb as well. Like we've, it, Airbnb has a pretty complex, um, completed API and we have integrated everything, even resolution and everything. And the, one of the reasons why we go so deep is not just because we want to allow the user to do everything on our platform, but also because we understand that the biggest advantage people are going to have when this LM becomes really accurate, large language model, right? Like GPT-4, the more that runs chat GPT, once this become more accurate, more powerful, it's all about having proprietary data and infrastructure. And whoever has the best infrastructure, and I'm giving away a big secret sauce, is going to ultimately become a massive winner. Mm -hmm. And you find that these people are willing to work with you and allow you to make these deep integrations because they know that their backbone is their still unique advantage, right? It's like the consumer doesn't know that you're using Amazon Web Services or using Google Cloud. They don't care, but those companies do well because you rely on them and it would make sense to build out a different way. Is that kind of how you see it? Like as long as we're, as long as they're getting their backbone built out that people are benefiting from it, they don't mind giving us all the access we need. So the journey is like the front end for what they're doing. That doesn't, that's aligns with their mission as well, you think? Yeah, actually, if anything, it, it, they're happy to work with a company if they can automate fully even their onboarding processes and streamline things for them. And it's, it's, it's automated revenue. And on top of that, we kind of work on an exclusive base. So they know that we're not going to be working with all their competitors. And us not having a marketplace actually plays into our advantage when it comes to create this custom APIs and partnerships. Mm -hmm. Okay. You said well, a second ago, and we've danced around AI now for long enough. So maybe I'm curious, like, what's the actual practical integration today within the product that uses any sort of AI? And if so, if you're willing to share any sort of technical details, are you just doing a call to the open AI API? Is there more kind of behind the scenes that you're doing? I'd love like the high level overview. And then we'd love to see where you think it's going to go from here as well. Well, I, I've been involved in this space as a hobby almost prior, like simultaneously, I'll say to journey. And we started working and playing around with it a little bit over a year ago. And one of the things that we realized, we said, hey, LLMs are going to become commoditized, right? So there's go you're going to have companies like Google, you're going to have Apple, Facebook, they're going to have their own version. And then eventually there are going to be all more or less at the same level. And some are going to be better at some specific things, but there, there's going to be, it's going to be a commodity, right? And the cost is going to go down. It already has like, in the past six, seven months has gone down like 80%. And really the uniqueness is going to be having unique data sets and then a unique infrastructure. Like we talked about the public transportation, you have to have built the roads. And we really see a lot of value into that. And so what it means is that if you now have a centralized system that has access to a lot of information, your AI is going to be able to do a lot of things. And this is not tomorrow, it's already today. This is a misconception. ChatGPT is extremely hard to answer generic questions. It's a lot easier to give a finite environment and teach to use that finite environment. A lot easier. The AI is already powerful to do that. And I think we're like maximum six months away to completely outperform humans at, at multiple tasks. We're already outperforming humans in with our system. I say there's a very finite numbers of hosts that know how to use the AI properly on our system, but the ones they do, they are extremely blown away. And to give them the, to dive into details of some of the things we do today, but what's up about to come, right? 
of what's about what we're about to be able to do today is answering reviews in a much better level than humans automated answering so obviously that you see what normal automated answers and review is horrible this is personalized answers they understand the conversations put things into context they write one of the best answers you've ever seen and then handle guest communications the most used mode is pre-filled mode so it means a host goes on it and the message is already pre-filled this works for text messages whatsapp and the text message of WhatsApp is in beta, so I'll only be able to view, but soon to everybody. <clears throat> and then for all the OTAs, right? So unify inbox, but you go on and you have a pre-filled text message. This, we have team reporting already, 80% improvement, 80, 80. This is, this is absolutely insane. And this is like a very beginning, right? Because just the task of going and collecting different information. Is the units available for a late checkout? You have to go and check on either breezeway or a turnout is a, was a unit clean you have to go check on the calendar when is the next guest like those are all things that play for early check-ins or late check-ins right oh that's already collected those information we already have is already there asking informations about for example how oh, stupid things but when you have a large even like a meat scale operation how does the microwave work? You have an FAQ, but you have to go and look how it is, how it works, because that agent probably is working for many other people. Instead, the agent comes there and answers already pre-filled with exact answer, right? And we are about 90% accuracy on the answer, so it's not 100% yet, but 90% is a pretty, pretty good number. Things that are about to come, and why it's important to have a decentralized system is changing reservations. Actually, another thing that we already have is geolocation. So we connect an API through Yelp. So it's able to give rec local recommendations. Hi, hey, how do I get to, to a National History Museum? And it will give you exactly the direction how to do it. Hey, um, I wanted to check in at, at 11. Is it possible? Is it, no, I'm sorry, the unit is occupied, but here's a place you can wait. And then it, it gives you a recommendation of bar. This is already happening, by the way. <clears throat> Things that are they're about to come, we have the ability to change reservation and extra upsell. All of these things that you have to train people to do, this is going to be now fully automated. A troubleshoot hardware, troubleshoot, like changing room temperature, uh, unlocking the door. It's able to recognize the guest, verify if that is the actual guest, and then ability to even unlock a door if a guest gets locked out or change the room temperature based on their criteria. So... These are all things that are about to come and, and really not just guest support, but it's guest management and the ability to help you manage the platform. That's Those are things coming very soon. Scott, earlier we talked about hospitality and we talked about efficiency. I guess, I guess from your point of view on this, is automating or figuring out ways to leverage AI and new tooling to automate I don't want to use the word grunt work. I know you often call yourself the operational grunt, but it's a lot of what Luca just described there in my mind fits into that category. A lot of it is a human logging into two different systems and checking things. There's not really a lot of value add here. Does that, if that kind of works flawlessly and as we expect, does that free up the reservationist or the person on the other side to provide a better experience? Is that where we're going in a positive way or are we losing things by going through this process? I'm curious your perspective. I think it's your first point, Conrad. I think it's just that. I, I think when you can free this up and almost make it an ease of use conversation where that stuff is easily handled and you don't even need that person 
and you're freeing up that person to focus on hospitality, I think that's a difference maker. And, and Conrad, we even go back to our conversation with Sean and Dirk, right? And essentially say, how do we then make the maintenance folks and the cleaning folks that point of contact, right? And when the simple, but also let's be honest, those simple questions are usually the most frustrating questions. And when that's being ha- handled seamlessly through this process, I think it really changes the dynamic. So the cleaning folks, the maintenance folks, and, and those interactions, even on the phone, are far more pleasant and far more focused on what are you here for? What are you doing? How's it going? What can we do for you? So I think efficiency can definitely breed more interaction as long as, and we've talked about this a lot as well, as long as we all don't count on efficiency to then say, I need less Scots and I need less Conrads and I can use this efficiency to then scale there. I think, if, I think this is a good opportunity to shift resources and say, I can have the AI handle a large portion of the NAG stuff, and I'm going to free up my real human resources to handle things. And even if you think about, we talked about it, Evan talked about it last week, Anurag talked about it, right? All of these things, all of them, Braden said it, there's still a human component that sits right in the middle that has to bring that human touch. And I think as long as we all don't try to make it so efficient, we pull out that human touch in the middle, that then it's a home run. And Adam, I guess I'm curious your perspective hearing that last bit from Luca and obviously Scott as well. It's uh, We talk about this game-changing t- technology and then Luca gives very practical examples, which I like, like the microwave doesn't work and stuff like that. Is that uh, where we're going to end up on this? It's game-changing technology, yes, but like ultimately it just solves little problems a lot faster, which is ultimately going to make us all more effective and efficient, hopefully. Yeah, but I, I think, yes, I think that's part of the answer, but I think your faster comment is the part that's really curious for me. Luca talking about we're six months away from doing X, Y, and Z, the pace that this is moving is so much faster than the world, and especially this industry is used to, that we have all of these different inflection points that we've been talking about on a variety of different levels, right? The economy, the oversupply, the inexperienced managers that are now getting crushed by interest rates and real estate costs, like all of these different pieces are coming together to have a really important time in this industry. And AI has the opportunity to be one of those really important variables that starts to change the way we think about the industry and change the way we operate. And the what the examples that Luke is giving are exceptionally important from an operations perspective. To, to Scott's point, we don't want to lose that human element. We want to take that human element and make it that unreasonable hospitality. So I, yes, I've freed up this time. Now you need to build a relationship with that guest and that homeowner and really start to understand who they are and help them understand what the value is that we bring as a management company. But as I listen to this, I wonder if the industry is prepared for the pace that this is going to happen. I hear Luca's vision and what he's trying to do. And we've been talking about search and marketing. And when I think about OTAs, that's really where their focus is, right? Their focus is on that front end search. How do I find a property? What Luke is solving is the hardest part of the industry, the in the field, the discussions with the homeowners, the discussions with the guests. Nobody's focused on that right now. I don't think any of these PMSs, to your point, Conrad, they're still thinking about themselves as all in one, even if they're not saying it. They're not trying to be this far ahead. And if it's moving this quickly and those companies aren't thinking about how to do this, I think Luke is right that the first company that comes and makes this really seamless and really easy to do is the winner. But that leads me back to a really important question for you, Luca. 
is what is your market, right? Because you said to us, and we come at this just to be all transparency, we come at this podcast from a vacation, a professional vacation rental manager's perspective. That's where our background is. That's been my 16 plus years in the industry, Scott and Conrad. We have this vision of the industry as these larger experienced professional vacation rental managers. But as you mentioned, the long tail, the majority of this industry is people who are too afraid to even make choices about tech stack, never mind build a full company and act professional. So what is your user base in it? How do you get that long tail to start using and become professional, but also get the established companies to recognize the opportunity and come to meet you at the same time. I love these questions because I sat on those exact questions for a long time. No, it's a really good question. And I think ultimately comes down to the user experience, right? And how easy it is to use and adopt these products. What's amazing about AI, my opinion, is that one of the easiest user experience and one of the easiest, it's a very complex technology, very innovative technology, but it's easy to use. And that's what really is the difference. Like you look at like VR, everybody talked about VR, but it's like bulky, hard to use. So it doesn't really pick up. Like when things really pick up quickly, look at how quickly ChatGPT was adopted. It's because it's extremely easy to use. It's you having a conversation with AI. It's it's super intuitive, right? And so we are doubling down on that. I don't think we're there. I 100% don't think we're there, but I we have a clear path to get there. And I think we are max, I say, five to six months away from having this extremely polished user experience. You come on, you know exactly what to do, and you don't have to know about AI. And you all of a sudden you're gonna see like an answer is already being pre-filled for you, and you're like, you have just have to click send, right? You're like, okay, this maybe sounds interesting. Can I make? Can I improve that? And then we're and obviously we have a whole section just to make customize AI. The way you want it, have the eye escalate to different people, just like it's a real person. And that's what we're doubling down on, really making that experience as seamless as possible and make it as much as possible as a one-click sync with your Airbnb and all of a sudden all your data is there and all of a sudden you have pre-filled answers from the AI and then make it as easy as possible. I think, but to answer your question in short, it's really about how do you make it as easy as possible and as adoptable as possible for everybody. And one of the things, and it's all about lowering what we call barrier to entry, right? The usability, right? The implementation, and, and as well also like the how expensive is it? That is the very big reason why we have we're gonna have a, a ever expanding free product that we plan to be to make it an extremely amazing system alone where there's going to be people that don't even feel the need to upgrade to a paid system and have that already automated a good chunk of their operations. It's about making people familiar with technologies and welcoming people in and really get a feel for what technologies can do. Yeah. And I, I think we should stress that. I, we haven't mentioned that. Journey has a product, their PMS, which is free. So for anyone who's listening to this and has gone down the path of trying to evaluate property management systems, one, to understand functionality, but two, to actually understand what the cost is behind all the variables with that functionality. Luke has taken that discussion off the table. Go in and use the product and see what it does. Now, doubling back on my question, I think that makes tremendous sense for the people that are concerned about making a decision about tech. All the people who are newer and trying to become professional, that seems like it's a no-brainer. This is free, it works, it's seamless, but have you started to see 
managers who are established and have their tech stack in place starting to to gravitate towards you already? Or is that to your point five, six months down the road when everything starts to really come together? Uh, we have had a few. I think the biggest success stories has been uh, people that haven't adopted technologies altogether or the far entail on the other side that the people that have been for a long time building their own tech stack and constantly failing. Because there's a middle ground in which people think can do it. <laughs> I've been through that. <laughs> and that middle ground is the hardest to convince. And so I don't want to convince that, yeah. that middle tail. But yeah, that's usually either the far end. We have pretty successful management companies using our system and, and helping us actually getting involved early and helping shape the product. And at the same time from the beginning, like, one to 10, I say management units, management companies, especially on the free product we had. We did, <clears throat> we launched the free product two and a half months ago, and we grew the amount of hosts 326% in two and a half months. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of them are not paid users, but it's, uh, there's definitely a lot of people that are interested in on the free products. I'm sure the VCs are happy with that percentage because they're not <laughs> paid users today, but there's a clear path to, to get them there. There is a clear path, yes. And we're okay if a good chunk stays free. We honestly want to benefit the industry generally. Of course, we are here for profit, but if we can really br help bring the industry forward and prevent the industry going through what I had to go through as a host, <laughs> that I'm going to be happy. Well, Adam, we probably got maybe a handful of minutes left to count with Oka here to go through everything. I guess I'm curious what else we didn't cover or dive into from your perspective as well. I think that hits what I was looking for because I think your point right there, Luke, is I think an important one. And that's ultimately why we started this podcast as well as we're believers in this industry and we want the right products and the right people with the right vision to guide this industry. I think we're with all the variables that we talked about and the inflection points that we have in front of us. There's potential for the industry to get bad press relatively quickly and to have really strong headwinds that are going to make people potentially make decisions to Scott's point before, oh, we got to make tough decisions. We're going to cut staff and we're not going to be hospitable. We're going to try to streamline. I think there are a lot of hard decisions that are in front of this industry. And I think that having a core group of people with a very good vision of where the industry should go and then driving towards that vision is going to be very important. So I'm happy to hear you say that it's not only profit, but you're also trying to improve the industry as a whole. And having building that road that we can all start to plug into, I think is a very big vision. And I'm I'm eager to see it happen, but I think that it'll be interesting to see what the vendor landscape is over the next 12, 18, 24 months, because if this moves as fast as it seems and as fast as you're talking about, then you would think vendors are going to have to make some very difficult decisions sometime soon as well. Yes, but, but, it's going yeah. to be interesting. <laughs> I think to, to that point, Adam, the vendors have to be willing to make the investment. I was going to ask this, Luca, earlier, just out of curiosity, maybe we can end on this note. Are you very technical or is it something where you brought on a lot of technical engineering people to help figure this out? And if you're not really the person in there messing with the code and adjusting things from that perspective, how do you find the right people who have this knowledge? Because this knowledge doesn't go back very far. So I guess what I was going to say to Adam's comment there is that I think there's a lot of companies in our space who've been doing the same thing with the same development team for a long time. And sometimes I've been in those rooms with these development teams, they see something new, they tend to push away from it a little bit. So how do, what's your approach to that? How do you make sure that you're cutting edge, but also not chasing a shiny object, which can occur sometimes too? How do you find that balance? 
Yeah, it's a hard balance, right? But I think it ultimately comes to to have a clear path to a vision uh, and bringing on teams. Everybody in our team shared that that ultimate vision of where we're going. And uh, and we and you have to make sacrifices in certain ways because you couldn't just have that marketplace. We understood that we had to compromise somewhere in order to get us to that path. Um, but I think it's ultimately the vision that you have from the very beginning. And if you look at generally speaking, we're lucky, I think, for the venture capitals that we have. But majority of the companies, their main incentive is to grow, no matter what, at all costs. And just focusing on growth means you stop innovating. And that's ultimately, I think, kind of what's happening oftentimes with software companies is just they bring a product to market and they treat it almost like it's like a solid product and really innovate very little on that product versus constantly understanding that you have to keep changing, you have to keep being flexible and really mold the product to ultimately benefit the industry. And it doesn't matter if now you're the leader because if you're not keeping innovating, eventually somebody else is going to come and it might take that market away from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the truth is sometimes in that thought process, you actually have to slow down to speed up, meaning you have to stop what you're doing, go backwards, figure out something, fumble a few times, fail, and then put out a good product. But then that time period, you might have churn, you might have other issues that you're ignoring. And a lot of people don't like that mindset. They don't like to slow down to speed up. They just want to go. And sometimes exactly. that doesn't you have the to, right path. <laughs> you have to be willing to endure the pain. I honestly, I tell you the yeah. path that we've taken, especially being the first movers in this direction, it was not painless, like whatsoever. It's It took us a long time and a lot of pain to, to convince these vendors, selling the vision, everybody working with us had to eventually buy into the vision of what we're, of what we we're doing. And it was definitely not easy. And if I haven't been in the industry for 12 years, it would be possible, impossible, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Well, close to. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what a lot of our, a lot of people that we talk to are dealing with close to impossible problems every day and yet they figure it out. And anything else, Adam or Scott, that we should layer in here with Luca before we let him depart for today? No, I'm good. I think this was a great discussion. I appreciate your time, Luca. I love what you're doing. I can't wait to keep digging into it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah Luca. Questions. It was, it was yeah. great being here. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Luca, for hopping on and recording with us. We really appreciate it. I didn't know much about Journey the Product, I admit, before we started recording today, but it was great to hear from you and hear where you're going. Obviously, we'll put a link to Journey in the show notes. It's spelled uniquely. It's spelled J-U-R-N-Y.com. You do have the .com. That's nice. But yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out Journey, see what you have to offer. If you made it this far and you appreciate the interview, our chat with Luca and everything we went through today, we also appreciate a review. So you can journey yourself on over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, hit five stars, and we appreciate that as well. Thanks again, Luca, and we will catch everybody on the next episode.